In today's CMIRS Live, we are joined by Patty Wubbles. Patty Wubbles is the Senior Vice President and a member of the Digital Assets Advisory Service Team at SRM, a firm that advises financial institutions in executing business strategies and strategic sourcing initiatives. Patty helped launch SRM's Digital Asset Advisory Team, delivering education and strategic planning services for financial institutions, integrating cryptocurrency and blockchain concepts and technology. Today's topic of conversation is cryptocurrency within financial institutions. Thank you for listening. Hi, and welcome to C Myers Live. My name is Brian McHenry, and I'm a principal with C Myers Corporation. And today we have Patty Wubbles, uh, who is an SVP with SRM, and we are going to talk about cryptocurrency. Welcome, Patty. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just start off. And uh, as of this recording, uh, the market's down just a little bit. It's it's below a trillion dollars in value. Um, Patty, what have you been seeing when it comes to this? Yes, it's definitely the elephant in the room. The market is down. Um, the market cap is actually a little bit below one trillion in assets. It has been as high as three trillion as of last year. So definitely a new phase for all of us to be experiencing in the market. Um, what we're seeing though is obviously this is happening in a lot of different market or asset classes, not just crypto. Um, we're definitely not saying crypto is dead and it's going away and because there's so much technology behind it and we'll get into that here today. But um, yes, the, the market is down. Uh, there's some areas that have a little bit of a, of a heartbeat that's going up so you look at the greens and the reds and and you see there's some um, application for um a, you know a bright side to it but um it's definitely interesting to watch happen and, and we're excited to see where where this takes us now yeah i agree with you there on the the learning side of it because there's so much learning that can happen right now like what do consumers do with the markets being down and i'll say even some of what's driving the market to be down presents an opportunity for financial institutions to see how is this going to work going forward. There are a lot of speculations and ideas on cryptocurrency might not be correlated to the market. It could be a, a hedge against inflation and that just has not occurred. But to your point, the whole market across many asset classes, the market is down. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned this and I know we'll, we're intending to talk about this today, which is even as there's this dip, it can be an opportunity for financial institutions because it, it sort of creates this opportunity to take a beat. And, it it um, really is because it's it's kind of like if you um, ended up quitting or getting fired from a job and at first it's really disruptive and you don't know what you're going to do and you try to center yourself and then you have the opportunity to go, okay, what do I want to do in life? What do I do I need to go back to school? Do I want to learn something? And so this, to me, it seems a lot like that in that um, it gives an opportunity for financial institutions to not feel like they have to be reactive if the market was hot or when it was hot a couple months ago. Um, you definitely saw institutions that were jumping in with a product with a retail buy sell trade. Um, you know, there was some FOMO effect. There was some maybe potential first mover advantage. Uh, and now we have the opportunity because the market is down a little bit to just take a beat 
and figure out what um, you know, what do we need to learn? What are the use cases that are best for our consumers, our customers or our members? And who are the partners that we should be partnering? And let's have the strategic conversations. Let's you know, let's talk about the different business units where some of this technology could really be impactful to to a consumer experience and find those friction points and let's get it ready to go because when it does come back and it will it sets a financial institution up to be ready for it and be able to have something in the market that makes sense so let, let let's go down that path and uh, you know on some of the what's the learning what's best for the organization what what are um, use cases that you're seeing for financial institutions with respect to cryptocurrency so it's really two different sides of the house on the use cases. There's definitely the retail side and what a financial institution might want to offer on the retail. And I'll step through a couple of those. The other side of the house is some of the back office efficiencies or the intra institution opportunities with blockchain, distributed ledger technology and smart contracts. I have talked to some institutions that are focused on the retail and I've talked to some institutions that are focused on the backside of it. And so with the retail product, again, most institutions had focused on that initially because that's what the market was doing. Um, those are things like custodial services, which for a lot of people who are interested in cryptocurrency, there's a little bit of barrier to entry. You kind of have to know enough about the technology to be able to buy, sell crypto. Um, so the millennials are in there, um, but maybe some other of your, your customers or members would be more interested in if they had sort of that um, that wingman to help with the, the custody of those keys. So the custodial services is definitely there. It's the baseline for a financial institution to offer other crypto products. So if you have that custodial service, that access to those keys, it also puts you in a better position to look at a buy, sell, trade application. Um, it looks at lending. Lending's going to be a great opportunity for financial institutions, but it's setting that infrastructure now so that when you're ready uh, to loan against crypto assets, you're able to do so. And we, you know, we can dive into what that looks like a little bit more. But you've got rewards programs, you've got um, high yield accounts. We're talking about there's starting to evolve because we've learned more. There's different business units from a commercial side, from a private and investment banking wealth management side. There's corporate banking and treasury and capital markets, um, I, as I mentioned, the retail. So there's a lot of different things that are starting to bubble up as more and more people learn about this technology yeah. and say, hey, we could do that here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the so the use cases, one of the takeaways is, the use cases are continuing to expand as there's more familiarity with the technology and the way it can be applied and used and create efficiencies. Then to your point, it's not just the retail side, which gets, you know, all the I'll say all the focus or the media right. player, the marketing attention. It's the back office aspects that you can um, you can apply it to as well. One thing you said, though, I want to go back to is you mentioned the barrier to entry for we'll say on the retail side and and say the broader consumer. And this is one of the things in conversations that we've been having with clients where when you look at financial institutions and community financial institutions, there's an opportunity for them to provide custodial services or even some education. Mm -hmm. And that could be really beneficial to their customers because you know it, it 
does feel complicated. The right. safety and security of it also feels complicated. And so this could be an entry for financial institutions, at least to start. Yes, absolutely. I mean, statistically, we know 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of any institutions, customers or members are already participating in cryptocurrency. So when you're having these strategic conversations, you're saying, are we are we going after that market? Is there something that we could be doing? Um, are we going after the millennials? You know, who is it that we're trying to cater to? But you also get to set the narrative for cryptocurrency. Um, there's a lot of education out there. Um, there is, you know, if you had, even if you weren't planning on offering a retail product right now, putting some frequently asked questions or top three things you need to know because they're potentially could be using you as a source of funds, um, ha having those conversations, there's some education that can be shared with, with the consumers. And then when you do release a product, um, you know, you've already kind of set the tone for this is where we're headed. Uh, the other thing I would say about that too is they, if the Coinbase's of the world, a financial institution has an opportunity to offer actually a better product than Coinbase because they can work with the third party, they can negotiate that contract, they can have a more secure environment, um, the backup to this custodial keys and so forth, and they can um, they can adjust their pricing a little bit where there might be lower fees or higher interest rate that the the consumer would be privy to instead of just being out on a, on a Coinbase and the, the financial institutions at the end of the day have that relationship where I don't I can't walk into a Coinbase branch and talk to you know talk to anybody there so there's definitely that opportunity. Yeah it may, makes sense and a couple things I want to highlight or, or reinforce here one of the things in the conversation that we're having is we're sort of mixing in cryptocurrency but also with with the technology that can help that's you know fueling cryptocurrency thinking about blockchain and distributed ledger technology and so a lot of times the conversations are around cryptocurrency again more that retail side but right. thinking more broadly you know we said we're going to talk about cryptocurrency but we're talking more broadly also about the technology yep. with cryptocurrency but that can also help on that back end and then one of the things you, you've mentioned a couple times and just um to help is, you know, custodial keys or, you know, the private keys. Can you just, you know, and, and maybe a couple sentences, like what does that mean? Why is that important? Yeah, so the, the keys are kind of your password. Whoever holds the keys holds the crypto is, is the old adage. And so when I have my crypto out on Coinbase, I'm trusting that Coinbase is going to be protecting my finances. If I have my keys and I lose that password, I don't there's not a lot of recourse to get my money back so a lot so there's a lot of cryptocurrency that's tied up because people lost their keys uh, it's super important there's no backup to it if a financial institution is able to offer through these through different third-party vendors a way to protect that backup so if i do lose my key i can go to the financial institution i you know there is a recourse and i don't lose it forever and i'm out that money totally so the custodian it's it's the it's again the ba easiest way to say it is that it is the password 
the keys are a little bit different, but there are products that financial institutions can offer that give them a little bit of backup to if they lose that key or if they've forgotten it, um, there's some security and, and backup there, which is very daunting for people to, that's why there's that part of that barrier to, of entry is knowing that if I lose this or if I, if I misplace the, the token or if I forget my seed phrase, um, what do I do? And financial institutions can step in and, and definitely help with that. Yeah, I agree. This goes back to, I know I've already said it once, but I think this is where there's a value proposition for financial institutions in that to manage all of this on your own, uh, unless you're very savvy in it, very educated in it, and, and uh, willing to take some risk, it does feel daunting. And so financial institutions through education, through providing some backup to them, um, it can be really helpful. And then just echoing what you said, the the scary thing, and I, I think this is where it comes in for financial institutions too, is the idea that there's not a lot of recourse. If you make a mistake, it's very clinical in that way of just like, well, you made a mistake and that that, you know, the crypto or the the action that you took, we can't necessarily roll roll that back or pull that back. And so again, the value just, proposition could be the education and the help there. And and for the financial institution, this is where you have some time to really choose your partners and your third party vendors wisely because even as we have learned um, in the last year and a half or so, there are questions that you need to be asking those third parties that you're looking at. You know, what's their liquidity provider? Do they have more than one? Um, if they, you know, what do they do if the the SEC comes and says, hey, you have to freeze everything? Um, what if they're, you know, there's a lot of questions that a financial institution needs to be asking those third party vendors and, and they get this chance to do that and, as opposed to just jumping into something. And, and some of them are through your, your core providers or your online banking providers, but they don't have to necessarily feel like they have to go in that direction either. They can explore other opportunities because it's API applications, there's integration that's involved. Um, and so again, it get, just gives a, a financial institution some chance to figure out what's best for them and who's the right partner partner and execute, you know, that due diligence and ask those questions and also negotiate a really good contract with them too. Let, so let's, um, one piece I wanted to hit, you know, in some of our conversations is let's, you know, like the distributed ledger technology, the, the, the blockchain itself, and you mentioned this a little bit as maybe some of the back office efficiencies. What, what are you seeing there in terms of use cases or conversations around this for financial institutions? So what we're doing right now is just educating on the terminology. And again, this is something that's evolving and people are learning more and then figuring out, oh, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? With distributed ledger technology, and, and so the term that everyone can start to be familiar with is DLT, distributed ledger technology. Um, the NCUA had a letter a couple weeks ago uh, advocating for credit unions to explore it. Um, and there's the the use cases that we see there, especially from a financial institution, is because you have a distributed ledger, you have less of a single point of failure. You have this constant cross-checking of information that is helpful for a financial institution. 
what that can do in one area is reducing that counterparty risk, um, that fraud with less intermediaries. Um, so you start to see people that in, are in compliance and fraud and security go, oh, interesting, this technology can actually reduce the amount of fraud that we're experiencing now with our traditional legacy ways of, of uh, conducting financial transactions with our customers or consumers. So again, from a back office efficiency, it's reducing that counterparty risk. There's um, intra and inner bank settlement that can be more instantaneous than it is right now. The, the relevance of customers wanting better experience, this technology looks for those friction points. If I'm getting a mortgage, if I'm buying a car, if I'm opening an account, um, all of those things, we are looking for those friction points and this technology is saying, here's a different way that we can do it um, outside of our legacy uh, transactions that we've been doing in for the past 60 some odd years. It's this new technology that it's offering and more people use it. It's called the network effect. The more institutions start using this, the more of a community that's built and they can really um, solve a lot of those friction points. The difference between DLT and blockchain. So blockchain, every every blockchain is a distributed ledger technology, but not every DLT is blockchain. And it really just comes down to how that data is being stored in the blockchain. Both sides are going to be a giant global spreadsheet, but that information on the blockchain side of it is um, a certain amount of data for every block. It takes a little bit of time for that block to fill and be verified, and then it goes to the next block and it's linked through that chain. That's why we call it the blockchain. And that's where con smart contracts reside as well, where you can have, they're not a legal contract, but a self-executing contract that's automating protocol based on conditions that are met. So an example of an escrow account, if I'm buying a home and this is met and the escrow gets executed and it's funded, those are things that can automatically happen through the smart contract as opposed to waiting for uh, you know, a person to execute that that contract or that document. Yeah. So this is this is great. And I know we could keep going a lot on this because there's a lot to talk about. Um, I think, you know, some of the key takeaways, and we mentioned this a couple of times, is yes, while the market is down and there there are some uh, there's pressure there, there's pressure across a lot of asset classes. Um, cryptocurrency still has use cases and the underlying technology there there are more and more applications and ways in which businesses and organizations are finding that they can apply whether it's blockchain or distributed ledger technology they can apply it in a way to address pain points and efficiencies and so to use your you know your term again which i like is now you have a chance with some of what's happening in the market to take a beat and step back and think strategically and be more proactive on how you want to address it and we're getting a preview for how consumers and financial institutions might respond uh, before right. they actually you know before you actually need to dive into it so right. really appreciate your time today patty this has been great anything else you would want to say as we we wrap here 
I just think uh, again, um, having these conversations, learning, um, having the strategy conversations, watching what the larger institutions are doing. Um, and again, this is all over the world. So there's 90 countries looking at CBDCs, there's stable coins, um, there's the introduction of new regulations that are, are happening now. And so when you look at it from the macro environment, you can learn and see and hear what they're doing and have those conversations internally talking through the what ifs. It's it's very much storyboard. What if we did this? What if we did that? And then finding out there's actually a third party vendor that can help you with it and um, setting that all in motion. So it, it's definitely a great time for strategic conversations. Great. Thanks, Patty. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time today. Great conversation. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. As always, we appreciate your time and feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Thanks. Thanks, Brian.